Okay, I don't know if they mentioned this in the announcements that came in a little bit late, but we do have, you notice the blood mobile over there. So if you have the opportunity to go over there and donate blood, uh, if some, not everybody is able to do that, but of those who are able, it's just like 10% of the people who are able donate blood. So please consider that. Somebody was telling me in the legacy service, they're not able to because um, they were so old that their blood type has been discontinued. Well, how about that? Now, we're in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments today, and if you are new to us, I met some guests this morning, Craig and Brenda, I think it's their second Sunday, Lauren is new to us today. If you're new to us, we've been in that sermon series and we've covered three of the commandments so far. So we have talked about the sovereignty of God and His rule, we've talked about the transcendence of God, so you don't make any graven image. We talked about the holiness of God, and the holiness of His name, and God in His person as well. First three commandments. But today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, January 22nd, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So I'm going to skip ahead and talk about the sixth commandment today, Matthew, um, Exodus 20:13. The commandment is, you shall not murder. Now, some people may be thinking, oh, you shall not murder. Okay, I can take a break on this. I can get ahead of my Sunday nap time because... I may not be perfect, but I've never murdered anybody. All right, well, that may be true, but you know how Jesus has a way of getting beneath the superficial obedience to these commands. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say a little bit later on in the sermon on that particular commandment. But we hear about murder. We see about murder all the time. We see it through social media. We see it in our entertainment. It's on TV. It's in the papers. The Bible is full of murders, all kinds of murders. And the third person who ever walked this earth was a murderer. What was his name? Cain. That's right. Who did he murder? Abel, his brother. Some of the leaders of the nation of Israel were killers. Zimri, Jehu, Joas, Jezebel. Even some of the people we think of as the good people amongst the patriarchs or in the Bible were killers. Moses, David, Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul. Jesus said of the devil that he was a murderer from the beginning. Perhaps it is that we all have the seed of murder in our hearts, and so we'll do well to pay attention to make sure we're not fertilizing that so it does not come to fruition in one way or another. And today we're going to use three questions to explore this sixth commandment. All right, three questions. Number one, what this commandment protects. What this commandment protects. And what it protects is the sanctity of human life. Now, what do we mean when we talk about the sanctity of human life? The word sanctity is a version of the word holy. We're talking about, so remember when we talked about the holiness of God, we said God is holy in two senses. He is ontologically holy, which means he's separate, he's different, he's distinct as a being from every other being. And also that he is holy in the sense of being separate from sin. So when we talk about the sanctity or the holiness of human life, we're talking about it in that ontological sense, that there's something about human life that is distinct and different from all other types of life. Now, not everybody believes that, of course. Not everybody has that particular philosophy. Albert Schweitzer won a Pulitzer for his writing on the sanctity of all life. He writes, a man is ethical only when life as such is sacred to him, that of plants and animals as that of his fellow man. To the person who is truly ethical, all life 
is sacred, including that from which the human point of view seems lower. Every time I have under the microscope the germs which cause sleeping sickness, I cannot but reflect that I have to sacrifice this life in order to save the other life. In other words, he has to sacrifice the germ in order to save the human. Tough choice for him because all life is basically equal. That philosophy is shared by various organizations, including PETA. You know, that's an acronym, uh, People Eating Tasty Animals. No, that's not right. I'm sorry. It's people for the ethical treatment of animals, but they have a similar view of all life. One of their founders, Ingrid Newkirk, writes, animal liberationists do not separate out the human animal, so there's no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. They are all mammals. Okay? So there's, there's a philosophy. That's a philosophy. And, and by the way, if someone's an atheistic evolutionist and life is spontaneously generated an amoeba to man evolution, that, that might be one of the conclusions that you would come to. It's, we're all basically the same. But that is not the biblical perspective. Abel sacrificed animals to God, and he was blessed for it. The Mosaic law requires the sacrifice of animals. So we say SPCA, yes. The Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, yes. We're not advocating cruelty to animals. We are stewards of this earth, of the animals, of the plants. We love them, protect them, take care of them. Not saying anything different, SPCA, yes, but PETA, no. We don't have that view of all life being basically the same. Why is it, what is it that makes the human life ontologically different from all other beings and all other life? It is the fact that we are created in the image of God. Mankind, Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That truth is the rationale behind the sixth commandment that prohibits murder. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. See, for or because God made man in his own image. That's the rationale. Dr. Laura Schlesinger says, every murder is an attack on God. Stuart Briscoe writes, when we destroy man, we insult God. Now, let me make a distinction here. Not all killing is murder. There are those who are Christian pacifists. If you're a Christian pacifist, that's okay. I'm not criticizing that. But sometimes they use this commandment as a part of that rationale. A pacifist would be someone who does not believe in using deadly force to take human life under any circumstances. So a Christian pacifist would not feel free to serve in the armed forces or to be a police officer or to use deadly force in self-defense. Okay, but, so, so, but two issues with that when we're approaching this from a biblical perspective. And one is that God clearly, in the law of Moses, which he revealed, assigned the death penalty for the breaking of at least 12 different commandments, including some of the commandments we're studying in these 10 commandments. Now, we're not Old Testament Jews. We're New Testament Christians. We are forbidden by Christ to seek retaliation or revenge, personal vengeance upon anyone. But the New Testament does recognize the role of the government, what's called judicial killings as punishment for crime, Romans 13, 4. Paul writes, the governing authority is God's servant for your good, 
But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it, this is the governing authority, is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. So there's that. Also, some of us may have learned these commandments initially in using the King James Version. And the King James Version of this commandment says, Thou shalt not what? Kill. It doesn't say murder. It says kill. But that's really a mistranslation. There are two different words in the Hebrew, one for kill, one for murder. It's muth, M-U-T-H, transliterated for kill. And it's ratzak for murder. And the word that is used here is the word for murder. And most of the more modern translations get this right. New International Version, New American Standard Version, New King James Version, New Living Translation, all translate this, you shall not murder. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to kill, a time to heal, a time for war, a time for peace. But the big point here under this particular question is, what does this commandment protect? And it protects the sanctity of human life because we're made in the image of God. Second question, what this commandment prescribes on the positive side? What does it require of us? If your doctor gives you a prescription, he scribbles it out, you can't read it, you take it to the pharmacist, he says, here's your medicine. It's prescribed medicine. If you're in rehab, you go to rehab, and after that lady works you over, she says, now here's some exercises you're to do at home. She's prescribing. What does this commandment prescribe? Basically, that we have a, a reverence and a respect and a love for all other people. It's Jesus' commandment, Matthew twenty two thirty nine: love your neighbor as yourself, that we are to hold no other person in contempt. We may say, well, they're contemptible of what they've done. And we are to get to the point in our minds where we're able to compartmentalize and separate the things that a person does, even if they're bad or wicked or evil or contemptible, what people do from who they are and the potential that they have in Christ. From the womb to the tomb, we hold people and their lives in reverence and with respect, no matter the race, the age, or the class. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be subject to the courts. And whoever says you fool will be subject to hell fire. Let me show you a little uh, video clip here. It's about two minutes long. It's from the, uh, uh, the World Series of Little League Baseball. It's uh, in the Western Divisions here in the United States. A young man named Isaiah Jarvis, you're going to see him get beamed uh, with the ball that's pitched, and then see his response. Okay, so let's roll that clip. Oh, look out. That's awesome.
So this, this is really, is really cool, cool because, because as a pitcher, pitcher Bubs, Bubs looks, looks shaken up, up right now because of what, what he did. Look, look at Zay Jarvis. Jarvis. This, this is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, Bubs, Look at me, look at me. Look at me, you're all right. Look at him. What a stud right there. Zay Jarvis. There's no crying in baseballs. I'll cut that out. So that, that kid's name is Isaiah Jarvis. That's the kid that got hit with the baseball. Can you imagine if that happened in Major League Baseball? The guy got beamed by the ball, started heading for the mound. You know what he's going to do. He's going to slug the pitcher, isn't he? And then both benches are going to clear, and you're going to have a big brawl. But I thought, what a beautiful illustration of, of what we're talking about right here. I mean, that's the opponent. That's the guy they're competing against on the other team. He get injured. He's not sure about the motivations of the pitcher, but still, he loves that kid. He goes out, and he encourages him. I don't know if you could hear it. It didn't pick up on the mic super great. But what Isaiah said to him was, you're, you're doing great. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. What a word of encouragement. And the Bible tells us, you know, every word that comes out of our mouths should be wholesome and good for building people up and encouraging them and not tearing them down. We are to love our family. We're to love our church. We're to love our neighbor, our spouses, but we're also to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. And this is what is prescribed in this commandment. We hold all life as sacred because everybody is created in the image of God and has that potential. Okay, so that's two questions. We're only talking about three today. And the third question, as we explore this commandment, is what does this commandment prohibit? What does it prohibit? Obviously, uh, it prohibits murder, but there are different kinds of murder. I'm going to talk about three. And the first one is murder by deed. So this would be first-degree murders when somebody thinks it out and they plots it plot it, and then carry it out in cold blood, first-degree murder. Second-degree murder is an act of passion. Somebody gets upset, someone else, and takes their life. That's murder in the second degree, and there are degrees below that. The most common violation of the Sixth Commandment worldwide is abortion, the voluntary killing of a living baby growing in its mother's womb. There is adequate biblical teaching for us Christians that supports the view that a baby is a person while still in the womb. We have some of those key passages on the screen. Vero Christian Church is proud to support Karenette Pregnancy Center. They try to protect the life of the unborn child by encouraging the mother to keep the baby. They usually show an ultrasound of the baby in the womb to the parent. They provide wise counseling as well as clothes and furniture for the mother and the baby. They offer financial education and job training for the mother and father-to-be. They offer ongoing care for both the unborn baby, the expectant mother, and the father for up to two years free of charge. They also offer post-abortion support. Many women hide the secret of abortion deep in their hearts and are suffering severe consequences. They carry a great burden of shame, afraid to reveal their hidden pain and by doing so are forced to endure the long-lasting effects in isolation. Surrendering the Secret is a small group study that is offered by CareNet. It allows women to release this burden and find freedom through redemptive community while experiencing hope and joy as shame and failure are replaced with beauty. Bonnie Martinelli is executive director of our local CareNet. She tells me they're starting a Surrendering the Secret class again at the end of of February. We're highly invested in that ministry. 
uh, our treasurer, uh, the treasurer on the board is a, a member of this church, the executive director of Kiranet, uh, I think the president of the board, and we have several of our members who are involved in volunteering with Kiranet. And I think this was mentioned in the announcements. Uh, we have Stand for Life today out on 60, the corner of 39th and 40th Avenue, right there by Sunny Coast Dermatology. All of us, if you have not made plans for 2 o'clock today, from 2 to 3, we're going to be standing out there and holding tasteful signs up for drive-by traffic to see. Signs like this one. We encourage you to come out. We'd like to have a good turnout. All of the ministers are going to be there. Scott's out of town, but the ones who are in town, we have elders who are going to be there. Leadership is going to be there. And uh, please consider doing that, taking a stand for life. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 31, that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And, and who is that but an unborn baby? We may say, well, that's not going to change anyone's life or anyone's thoughts what they th or mine. Maybe, maybe not. How do we know that? God's responsible for changing people's minds, but we're responsible to stand up for the truth. So I hope you will join us out there today if you can. All right, so there's murder by deed, and, then th and secondly, there's murder by words. Matthew 5, 22, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, this just speaks to the power, the potency of words. This word, Raka, this Aramaic word may have been an onomatopoeia word. It's a word that sounds like what it's communicating. And a lot of folks believe it's related to spitting. You know, spitting is a way to hurt someone else's spirit. It's demeaning. It's humiliating. And it's degrading. Job 17, 6, God has made a mockery of me among the people. They spit in my face. Isaiah 56, I didn't hide my face from mockery and from spitting. That's a messianic psalm referring to Jesus experience. I have been spat upon. I know what that feels like. It's humiliating. It's demeaning. It was even worse for me because it was a female who spit on me. I might have retaliated, but she was big. She outweighed me by 100 pounds. She was taller than me, and uh, I could see, but I could see the disdain in her eyes. Now, in addition to that, yes, she was a llama over here at Laporte Farms feeding carrots, stopped, and she spit on me. So maybe not the same as a human being, Bad enough, I'm sure it's worse with a human, but it's that how our words can convey, can they not, contempt, and we can use them to harm other people. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. This past November, November 14th, I was reading about 15-year-old high school freshman Austin McIntyre. He told his mother, Lisa, that he was sick and wanted to stay home from school, but when she pressed him, he admitted he wasn't sick, but didn't want to face the bullies at school. And then the following Saturday, he took his own life. And his mother, Lisa, is hoping to help others who may be going through what her son endured. She says, people are wanting and willing to listen and help. Don't ever feel like you're carrying this whole world on your shoulders alone. You're not. But it just, and with social media, we all know what's going on in our society. It magnifies the power of the potency of the spoken word to hurt someone's spirit. Murder by words. And then thirdly, murder by thoughts. All sin begins in the heart. And Jesus is telling us to guard our hearts and make sure that we are not harboring anger, resentment, bitterness, a grudge, unforgiveness toward any person that is fertilizing that seed of murder. John chimes in in 1 John 3.15. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Some may say, I can't help how I feel. I'm not sure that's true. In our life group this past week, we were talking and Dallas reminded us of something that's in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and that is that we are responsible. And the way the author uses that word is that we are able to choose our response, response responsible. So when there is a stimulus that we experience, we're not animals. We don't instantly respond. We can step back from that stimulus, and in between stimulus and response, that's where our thought process comes into play. We're created in the image of God, and we can think about that and say, what is my response going to be? We can actually choose. We choose first through our thoughts how we're going to feel and how we're going to respond. And as Barney Fife would say, we have the ability to nip it in the bud. So however we're going to release that hatred or that anger, that bitterness or that enmity, release it to God. I like to use journaling, write out those emotions and then release them to God. In prayer, this is a symbol of releasing. We release it to God, and then we open our palms in prayer to receive from God what He wants to give us. Love, forgiveness, grace, patience. Speaking of murder, as you probably know, uh, when Jesus was on trial before Pilate during the Passover, they had a custom where they would release one prisoner. And so Pilate gave the people a choice They could either release Jesus, who was on charges of sedition, or they could release who? Who was the other prisoner? Barabbas was the other prisoner. He was a murderer. And uh, the bloodthirsty mob cried out for the release of Barabbas. Now, the way this is portrayed in Matthew, I'm going to put this little interchange up on the screen between Pilate and the murderous mob. We're going to have a responsive reading. You're going to be the bloodthirsty mob. And, but I'm not much better. I'm Pilate. And I will say what Pilate said, and you reply to me what the crowd said. And what I want us to envision is wherever Barabbas was being held, it was probably close by to the stone pavement, what is called the stone pavement, where they tried Jesus. Let's just say there's a holding cell like on the other side of that wall or on the other side of that wall where sound bleeds through. You can hear part of what's going on. And I'm wondering what Barabbas is hearing while he is waiting. Okay, so I'll say Pilate's part, and then you respond to me as the crowd. Who do you want me to release to you? What shall I do with Jesus? Why? What crime has he committed? So perhaps, it's speculation, but perhaps Barabbas waiting over there in in the prisoner's cell, the holding cell, he can't hear what Pilate said, but he can hear what the bloodthirsty mob is saying. And so what he hears is, Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. And undoubtedly, that's what he expected when the Roman soldier comes to get him out of the cell. But that's not what he hears. He hears them. the Roman soldier comes and says, another is going to take your place. And we are Barabbas, are we not? We've seen how many ways there are to break the sixth commandment. But because another has taken our place, and innocent, then we are able to be forgiven and accepted by God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, you equate murder with a heart full of hatred and anger, and some of us fall into that category, and only you know what is in the human heart. 
We pray that you search our hearts and show us the evil and deception that reside within. Show us how our sin has led us to believe the lies of the world. Break through our hard hearts and bring us to the point of hating our own sin. May the healing medicine of your Holy Spirit be poured out on the wounds of our hearts, bringing healing and restoration, forgiveness and love toward others. In Jesus' name, amen.